Well, hello and welcome to Dex Phoenix from the Flames, podcast number one. A very warm welcome to you. I'm Dex and just want to introduce what this whole thing is all about. Thank you very much for stumbling across my podcast. Uh, it's really appreciated and hopefully you'll like what you hear and you'll stay stumbling through. Just to say that this is a podcast that covers some fairly serious topics in places, but hopefully the style is one of gentle humour, some light and shade in it, if you're in the UK and you're aware of the programme The Detectorists or Last of the Summer Wine, it's kind of a combo of those two, with maybe a little bit of Wolf of Wall Street uh, thrown in. I think it's important to explain the title, Phoenix from the Flames. And this is really to do with the fact that in my life I've had you know, three major kind of traumas, if you like, that have happened, resulting in three major changes of direction. And it's really a kind of investigation of those with the idea that actually... In some ways, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I suppose, is is the old phrase. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. And I think what's happened for me is that those significant events have meant that I've perhaps reevaluated things, used them once I've got over them as a not a stepping stone, a trampoline to um, to leap into new things, perhaps things I'd always wanted to do or go in new directions. And I'm hoping that whatever situation you're in, that perhaps um, helps in some way, or maybe you've had a similar situation in the past yourself and that you can relate to it. You know, I think the phrase, this too shall pass, it does a lot of heavy lifting, but I think it's quite an important phrase because I think actually everything's temporary, right? And, until you're not around anymore, and then it's pretty permanent. But I don't want you to think that this is entirely a serious podcast at all. Very much plenty of anecdotes and some gentle humour in there as well. So probably worth explaining where I am right now before I take you on a journey back in time. Right now I'm sat in a, a recording studio that I have purposely built at home to a reasonable professional standard. I'm using professional equipment. It is professionally sound treated with acoustics and so forth. And I am on the cusp of my career as a voiceover artist. Something pretty different than what I've done in the past. And this series of podcasts will explore how I've come to be where I am. So we will explain how I've got here. I will just tease you by saying that about six weeks ago, I handed my notice in. I quit the highest paying job that I've ever had <laughs> in order to have the time and perhaps the fear to fully immerse myself in the world of uh, voiceover artistry and to to have a, a, a yet another change of career. So as you might guess, um, there has been a, a relatively recent major trauma, but more on that later on. Just to say, though, that there are other life-affirming, life-changing events to get through, and I want to start relatively chronologically, 
This isn't intended to be a verbal autobiography at all, more a, a set of significant, for me at least, events. And the first of these was the death of my mum. Now, I want you to realise that this is not, very much not, a maudlin or sad podcast, which might seem a strange thing to say, having just said that, but, but quite the opposite. But I do think you need to have the shade to see the light. And this is how terrible, potentially negative events can be changed into something that, that changes you. It perhaps gives you the impetus to change your life or do something you've always wanted to do or to improve your enjoyment of the world. This is not a self-help tape. I, I have no expertise and I'm not offering that at all. If it helps, great. Uh, but that's not the intention. The intention th really is that I think I've got a bit of a story to tell. I don't necessarily think it's unique or, um, or massively different. There's, there's all sorts of people have gone through and are going through all sorts of things out there. But I do think there's a story here. I do think that there's some, something that people might find interesting and, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. So far from being a wholly negative thing, I think trauma can help you reinvent yourself. And, and having said this is not an autobiography, I do need to whiz you through my childhood uh, in order to provide some context as to who my mum was. So I had a typical rural middle class, I guess, British upbringing. Middle class, mind, so not, you know, nothing, no private schools or chauffeur-driven whatevers. You know, this was local village primary school and then age 11, off on the bus to the grotty comprehensive in the next biggish town. And my mum was, I was very close with my mum. She was the, the caregiver, the disciplinarian, the cook and bottle washer, as she'd put it. Dad was always busy, a small retail business that he ran. He was a difficult man at times. I think it's fair to say quite Victorian and old-fashioned in his outlook, I guess. He was... However, the provider, he was the, the fixer and the mender. And he was quite a dab hand at DIY. I mean, he'd take on pretty major jobs himself, uh, usually successfully. Unfortunately, he's only passed a little bit of that ability on to me. It's uh, my older brother that's the, the practical one. But my dad really, aside from that practical side, was, I think it's fair to say, an emotional void when it came to the family. Uh, myself and my, my older brother, as I said, he's... Uh, 10 years or so older than me, which um, which does make me think I must have been a mistake. I mean, nowadays it's not unusual to have children in your late 30s and 40s, but for very much less so back then. So I reckon, I reckon I was unplanned. I really don't want to think about the details, you know. After all, it is my parents we're talking about, so let's just move on from that. Anyway, to give an example when it comes to my dad, he built me the most incredible wooden fort. And I don't mean a toy one, if that's what you've got in your head. I mean a full-sized one. I mean, the Foreign Legion would have been reasonably happy with it, right? I reckon you probably could have fitted 10 or more children in it. It had windows. I don't think there was any glass in them, but it certainly had windows. There was a ladder you could get up onto the roof. There were turrets. The lot. Amazing. I mean, goodness only knows how he found the time to build it with a small business to run. But he did. But here's the thing. Never once did he play with me in it. 
he just wasn't that kind of dad. You know, he he wasn't one to get on his hands and knees and build with Lego, although he, he would have been amazing at it. Or play with the brilliant train set that he built me in my room. You know, I don't want you to think that was a problem, though. I mean, we just accepted it. It was how he was. He provided, mum did all the, the other stuff, the nurturing, the running me to clubs, particularly speech and drama, which I loved and I did, you know, four or five nights a week at times at the local drama school. Now, mum was, was not what she looked like. To the casual observer, someone who saw her or maybe even met her but didn't know her, she appeared to be your kind of typical... Middle-aged, Middle England, permed-haired housewife, right? But she was a rebel at heart. Outwardly, she conformed. But her rebellious streak and a mischievous sort of sense of humour that she had would would always shine through. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, She was a member of the Women's Institute, the WI. Although she used to pretend it stood for Wild Indians, to my absolute delight as a child. Anyway, one spring evening, I remember her returning from a meeting a bit disgruntled, as it had been agreed that everybody would write a spring poem to read out at the next meeting. So, next meeting comes along, and one by one, ladies stand up and read their poems, and the air was full of of lambs, gambling in the fields and daffodils swaying in the breeze and fluffy clouds scudding across the blue sky. And then my mum stands up and says this. Spring has sprung, the grass has riz, I wonder where my husband is. Up the red lion or at the plough, he really ought to be gardening now. And sat down. Apparently some of the ladies liked it. But there were more than one disapproving look given over mother-of-pearl spectacles. And there was a sort of general feeling to really taking it in the spirit it was meant wasn't really serious enough. Which, of course, she wasn't. She did have a real love of life and a really cheeky sense of humour. Even when she apparently started to cut up the dinner for the gentleman sat next to her at the Rotary Club... She found it funny rather than embarrassing, you know, sort of laughing it off with a kind of, oops, you're not my son, are you? And her reaction much the same when she pointed out the horsey in the field to the rather surprised man sat next to her on the bus one day. She was the one who took me on holidays. Dad was too busy with the shop. Older brother wasn't interested in joining us. She was the one who administered the first aid when I grazed my knee but also the one who could be a terrifying but fair enforcer of discipline when needed. So it was a shock, even in my late 30s, to be jolted to the realisation that she could be anything but there all the time. I remember taking the phone call. It was November the 5th, Guy Fawkes Day. If you're American, that's like Halloween, but with actual history attached. Mum had been feeling unwell for a fair few weeks. Nothing specific, you know, generally under the weather, a bit nauseous, off her food. In fact, I remember she'd been eating ginger, because apparently it helps. It works with seasickness too, apparently. Anyway, it, it wasn't doing any good, and eventually she went to the doctors, and they decided to get some tests run. My head was spinning. I was trying to make sense of the words. Test results. 
not good. Cancer, pancreatic cancer, inoperable, terminal. She put my dad on the line. It was the first and possibly the only time I ever heard him crying. He actually couldn't get any proper words out. Mum apologised for the upset, reassured me it would be okay, and we hung up. And I was numb. Fortunately, we were in London with some of my wife's family, who were all medical folk, and one of them, a consultant, albeit in a different discipline, very patiently talked me through with great compassion and kindness the whole thing. And I remember thinking his patients were so lucky to have someone with such a great bedside manner. Not that he sugarcoated it, not to put too fine a point on it, pancreatic cancer is a bastard. It's hard to diagnose from early symptoms, it's difficult to operate on at the best of times and it's often found too late to act anyway. At the time I was a sales rep and um, I phoned my boss. I remember apologising for calling at the weekend, I wasn't sure what I was trying to tell him other than I wanted him to know and I didn't expect it would affect anything and I was just, you know, letting him know just in case. Fortunately, he was older and wiser than me, and he seemed to be saying that it would affect things and that I should take what time I needed. And sure enough, I emerged from my first sales call the next morning, suited and booted, uh, unable to shake the absolute primal need to be with my mum. I phoned the boss, got told to go, and why was I even trying to work anyway, and drove the hour or so to my parents' place in the country. Surprised to see me, she feigned disapproval at me not being at work, but it was, it was really clear that she was delighted I was there. She went downhill fast, and from the terminal diagnosis on November the 5th, she died in the local hospice on Boxing Day that year, around 50 days later. But at least I was fortunate enough to be able to say goodbye, and I love you numerous times. During that time... I somehow managed to attend an intensive interview day for an internal promotion. I didn't get the regional job I'd gone for. For some reason, I was offered the more senior national role instead. I accepted it in a bit of a daze, to be honest, just before that fateful Christmas. And I think, though, in my head, I'd already decided I needed a bigger change than that. After Christmas, and after the funeral, at which somehow I was able to read the 1934 poem that Mum had requested, Immortality by Claire Harner from Kansas. You might know it as the Do Not Stand By My Grave and Weep poem. Even if you don't know it, actually, I'd recommend looking it up. It's only short. It's a real tearjerker. I told my boss I was going to turn down the promotion. I told them that the reason was that it was a national role and now my dad was on his own, he's in poor health. He needed me to be nearby, but actually... I'd already decided to pursue a dream that had been sown around 10 years earlier when I did an intensive course to pass my motorcycle test. I was going to train to become a motorcycle instructor. Learning to ride a motorcycle had been a fantastic, if cold, experience for me. I did a, a week-long course one freezing March, but wiping the ice from my visor did not deter me. I loved it. And I particularly yearned after the laid-back, cool lifestyle that the instructors seemed to have. The idea had germinated, but had been shelved as impractical for financial reasons. Those laid-back and slightly grimy motorcycle instructors didn't get paid very much, it turned out. But my wife could see the crushing effect my mum's death was having on me, and she devised a plan. 
Whilst I spent my weekends shadowing instructors at a local training school and putting myself through intensive instructor training at another school, she sorted the house out to be rented out and cleared it with her work to work from home part of the week. This, of course, is pre-COVID, so not nearly as common a thing as it is now. I passed my instructor exams, quit my job, burned my suit, yes, literally, and we rented our house out and moved into a caravan, or trailer if you like, in her parents' garden so we could afford my new lifestyle choice. It totally changed me. I loved being an instructor. No more sales meetings and spreadsheets, targets and conferences. I was working outdoors as well. It, it was truly revitalising. I really was a phoenix from the flames. I was so low just a few months before. I, I'd, I'd been reborn almost. It was almost evangelical. So revitalising was it that two years later I quit that job and opened my own motorcycle training school. This seems like a good place to leave this week's podcast. I'll carry on from there because it, it leads towards the second life-changing event that happened a few years later. I hope you've enjoyed it. Send us some feedback. Let us know your thoughts. You know, hopefully it's generally upbeat, albeit with some, some pretty serious stuff in it, I guess. Obviously, I'm not a motorcycle instructor now, so things have changed on that front in fact, there's been two changes since then. So I hope you are inspired to join me uh, next time. I plan to do these every two weeks. So look out for the next one, subscribe, and I will see you on the other side. Oh.